Welcome to episode 15 of the podcast. Apologies for putting this one out a bit late. Pretty much sacked off the whole of last week. I mean, it was record heat here in the UK. I think it touched 40 degrees last Tuesday. You know, we so often complain about the poor weather for most of the year. And when we finally do get some solid bit of sunshine, <coughs> we still complain. And I get it for the most part. You know, this country isn't built for handling high temperatures. You know, there's no air conditioning and buildings are quite well insulated. And it's a lot easier to keep warm than it is to keep cool. But given that I don't work for anyone, I thought, hell with it. I'm going to enjoy myself a bit. So for those who followed my tweets, will see that I do actually moonlight as a food blogger. Just kidding. But I tried out a few nice spots in London last week. Stayed out in the city at the Rosewood Hotel in London. Absolute world-class place, you know, had a real good time. Played a bit of golf, so it was a real fun week. I didn't not trade altogether. I worked maybe two or three days. I backed Pakistan to chase Sri Lanka in the four things on the fourth day of their first test match, and I made about 700 quid off that back delay. So that was a brilliant trade. I was really proud of that. And I traded Saturday. It was King George weekend at Ascot. I I missed the first day of the festival on Friday as I was staying out in London. But for Saturday session, I made over £300 that afternoon. So all in, I made a grand off only two and a half days of work, which which is round about what I expect to make in a full working week. So to be able to do that in a couple of days on what was supposed to be my week off was a real bonus. It was a bit of luck. Uh, You know, I was a bit lucky, admittedly. You know, I was in the right place at the right time when I caught that move on the cricket since I wasn't watching hot, you know, hardly any of the game. Um, but yeah, caught a brilliant back to lay on that. But it's also important not to overlook the fact that because I worked such little hours, I was able to peak and concentrate much better and wasn't fatigued. So I have no doubt that played a big part in my execution. So big lesson there. You know, sometimes less is more. When it comes to trading, you know, it's hard to be alert when you spend so many hours in front of the screen. Sometimes it's better to stay away and weigh up the opportunity cost between the time spent in front of the screen and how much money can be made. And when you consider how lovely the weather was, you know, and how lovely it's been so far this summer. And the fact that this week was a lot more full on. It was it was the right call to make uh, to take most of the week off and keep my powder dry, so to speak, since this week uh, was really busy. We had the second and deciding match of the Sri Lanka-Pakistan Test Series and the Goodwood Festival. So just five days of solid racing action. I did make an effort to trade most of the cricket this time. Sri Lanka, you know, they set a mammoth total for Pakistan to, ch- uh, to chase in the final innings. I think it was around 400 runs they needed, which... Seems to be sort of the normal these days, you know, these big chases on the final day or the final innings. Um, It took a long time for the pitch to, you know, start to do anything. Now, whilst there was no way Pakistan was ever going to chase 350 on a final day pitch, you know, they they have batted very well in the last two final innings. So the market pretty much decided that this was heading for a draw. And when you factor in the rain forecast that was lurking around, it looked pretty nailed on and the price just came crashing in from around 30 to 1 to 1.5, which is an absolute monster move. <coughs> the only problem with Pakistan is that their their batting is very top-heavy, and their top order was bowled out 
relatively cheaply. And it's too much to rely on barbarism on the final day. And nobody else really stepped up to the plate. So Sri Lanka bowled them out and drew the series. And I collected another 700 quid off that game. So similar result to the first. Then there was Goodwood. Now, I was really tired after all the early morning starts with the cricket. And I didn't have the energy to focus uh, you know, I couldn't fully commit to the racing, so I made a plan to skip the lower quality cards and just trade Goodwood alone. Now, Goodwood is usually one of my favorite festivals. I I make roughly a grand off of it. I call it the fourth major. It's my favorite event outside the big three being Ascot, Cheltenham and the Grand National. But this year, I didn't feel as if it traded as well as previous years. And I'm not going to chalk it up to liquidity because the money was there, but... When it comes to pre-race, I always prefer to scalp uh, high-quality grade one events with with high st- with high staking. But it just felt like there was never more than one or two races a day that offered that kind of opportunity. I mean, there was a lot of sporadic movement in the prices. And to those that remember uh, Ascot this year, will know that I said something similar. So this is it seems to be a new phenomenon. And if that's the case going forward, it's just a question of adapting and adjusting to the markets since there's a lot more bots that are active now. Scalping will always be there, but the opportunities are dwindling somewhat. So you either have to look elsewhere where there's less shrewd money and less bots, like the Australian racing, or just learn new methods. Anyway, I still managed to pull out another £500 of 30 races. So a very good race average, but a low result since I skipped all the events between. So... Yeah, so £1,000 last week and £1,200 profit this week. So um, nothing to complain about. It's been steady. But, you know, I can't help but feel like I left a little bit of money on the table this week. With hindsight, I I do kind of regret not entirely committing to either the cricket or racing. I don't believe I traded the cricket particularly well, even though I made money. I did cut some positions too early. I did get a bit impatient and my focus wasn't all there as I did have a couple of late nights. And since I'd spent so many hours already looking at the cricket, it took away from trading the racing completely. So maybe I should have sacrificed one for the other. You know, maybe I'd have made more money, but hindsight's always twenty twenty. And when facing that sort of trade-off between two sports you do very well in, it's, you know, it's difficult to make. But anyway, that's the last couple of weeks in review. But today I want to discuss the the British Open, the Open Championship that took place week before last, and what lessons we can draw from it. But before we do that, I just want to give a little thank you, by the way, I forgot to mention, uh, to last week's listeners. I do encourage people to leave comments on the video, and whilst pe- people did do that, I also had some DMs and emails with positive and constructive feedback, which I do appreciate. You know, it's the first time I've ever had guests on the podcast and it's a hell of a lot easier than talking to yourself. (laughs) I can tell you that. And it was real, it was a real fun yet informative chat. So much was discussed from the winning mindset to managing risk and just how similar professional tournament golf is to trading. So if you haven't listened to that episode, make sure you check it, check it out uh, last week's episode. But back to the open. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it feels like ages now. You know, we live in a day and age where topics don't trend longer than a couple of days. So two weeks have passed and here I am talking about it. 
The reason why is because this year it was special for many reasons. The most obvious being that it was the 150th Open and it was at St. Andrews, which is the home of golf. And Tiger Woods bid his farewell to the crowd, suggesting this may be his last competitive tournament at St. Andrews since it won't be returning there till the year 2030. And given all the injuries and the way his body's holding up, it doesn't look like he's going to be back here. So being the 150th anniversary at the oldest course in the world, it was a historic year to win the tournament, and the big bookie favourite, Rory McIlroy, was tipped by everyone to get it done going into the final day. I think he was 11-1 to 1 going into the tournament, at least on the exchanges he was. And I just felt like it was way too short because the last time he went 11-1 to 1 at the Open was three years ago at Royal Portrush, which is his backyard home course. And he shot 80 on the opening day. Now, granted it was three years ago, but all the unnecessary added pressure of having to win a major, especially when it's a historic year at the Open, I just thought it was way too short. You know, There was far too many factors at play. And Rory's price tends to trade very dramatically. His price is susceptible to massive market overreactions. I think a couple of weeks before the Open on the PGA Tour at the Travelers Championship, he was leading after two rounds, which is the halfway point and was already as short as evens and then went on to lose. And given how easy the scoring conditions were at the Open this time, I did expect a lot of low scores. So it wasn't a back for me at that early stage. Lo and behold, after the first round, he shoots a good score, but uh, a good score. But he's trailing by two, and the market goes berserk. His price drops from eleven to one to six to one after one day, and he's not even leading. So I feel like, okay, here we go again. You know, I, I should have seen this coming, and I did from there anticipate he'd be in contention coming to the final round. But as I said before, given how easy the scoring conditions were, it's you know it's tight. If it's tight at the top after three rounds, anyone from behind can come up, come and sneak up from behind and win it. So after three rounds, he was in fact leading and had a stroke cushion over Victor Hovland, who sort of chopped it around in the final day. But Rory was trading at around evens. Um, and the way he was playing that week, you know, I thought you know, no one's going to take him out. This is The closest threat was Cameron Smith, who was four shots behind. And he shot over par in the last round. So... He was around 12 to 1. And for me, it looked like a good time to finally get on the McElroy train. So I backed him at 2 to 1. And I think he traded as short as 1.3 or 1.4 thereabouts. But he just wasn't holding any putts. He was hitting the ball so beautifully. Um, it was just a ball striking clinic. But he could just not drain anything outside 8 feet. Couldn't convert any of the birdie opportunities. The, he finished 2 under, but the only two birdies he made were 2 putts. Cameron Smith, on the other hand, ended up winning. You know, he was just not, he, you know, he wasn't just striking the ball well. He was putting on a putting masterclass. He was draining putts for fun outside 10 feet and his odds came crashing in. And when he got to the turn, I think he made like four or five birdies in a row. Rory's odds went from 1.3 back to evens and just drifted in almost linear fashion to 30 to 1. I came to the realization that Cam Smith is going to sneak up behind and snatch this tournament when I saw how well he was putting and how poor Rory was. And Rory has a record of not being a clutch putter when the pressure's on. So realizing this, I still held on to my position. I just couldn't accept the fact that I was wrong. 
you know, the fairy tale ending uh, to his major drought is going to stop that night. And he was going to win it. You know, I thought I was convinced of it. My ego just wouldn't let me accept defeat. And I got punished. So I had to scratch my position at I think around four to one or five to one. So at one point I was 60 ticks in profit. You know, I'd shelled out around two grand. I had around two grand in liability. I didn't cash out. Ended up making a complete mess of it and hedging up for around a 500 pound loss also. Um, and the reason why it happened is because I got attached to the trade. The number one rule as a trader is to never get attached to a position. You have to be able to make that separation between who you want to win and who you think is going to win. Let me say that again. There's a big difference between who you want to win and who you think is going to win. And if you can't make that differentiation, then you have no business betting. Now, I pride myself on being able to stay objective when it comes to assessing situations and predicting how things will play out. And the reason why I'm right more often than not when it comes to predicting outcomes is because I can look at the cold, hard data and make a call without being swayed by emotion. But sometimes we, we too get caught in the hype. We're still human at the end of the day and we're going to make mistakes. So this event really served as an important reminder to me to stay objective. Uh, like I laid out before, this was a historic open. There was a lot on the line. The spotlight was on Rory. His odds shortened up early. He was living up to it. You know, he wasn't the lead. And by the time we got to the final round, literally everyone just seemed to be just counting down the holes. You know, it was practically written in stone at this point. And, you know, I admit I did suffer from a bit of FOMO, a bit of fear of missing out. So I didn't want to risk the price getting any shorter. And because I got into a good position and I did get into profit, I stopped accounting for what I was seeing on the TV and started believing what I wanted to happen, even though it wasn't happening. So I put the cold, hard data aside and ignored the fact that he was getting thoroughly outplayed by Cameron. Um, and I just straight up ignored what I was seeing. And I sat on a, lo a loser for way too long. A lot of people always ask, when should you cut a trade? You know, how much profit is enough and how long do you let a loser run? And the answer to that question is perfectly summarized by the way I traded this open championship. When you take a position, you stay in it for either as long as you can predict what you think is going to happen or you've at least prepared for how far you're willing to let it go against you. It's rare to ever catch the top or bottom of a trade, so you always have to be prepared for when your position moves into the red. And when it comes to cutting positions, you do it as soon as you can no longer predict what's going to happen. So as soon as I realized Rory is not going to hold any putts today, it just wasn't, you know, his, it just wasn't his day. He was just having an off day with the putter. And Cameron Smith is going to convert every birdie opportunity. That should have been my cue to get out. And had I not been so emotional and looked at that fact objectively, I would have walked away with some profit. But because I didn't accept the situation, hadn't gone my way, and by the time the euphoria of watching Rory win had wore off, it was too late, and I was in the red. One of my favorite quotes happens to come from one of my favorite movies by one of my favorite actors, Robert De Niro, in the movie Heat, in that iconic restaurant scene where he comes face-to-face -face with Al Pacino. So just a bit of context, Pacino is a cop in the film, and De Niro is a professional bank robber. He's part of an elite crew that pulls big scores. And he says to Al Pacino in the restaurant, he says, 
don't let yourself get attached to anything you are not willing sorry excuse me he goes i don't let myself get attached to anything i'm not willing to walk away from in 30 seconds flat when you feel the heat around the corner and there's a scene where de niro is in the middle of a robbery and he's being surveillanced by pacino's team in a nearby van and de niro's outside the building he's on the watch out while val kilmer is inside drilling the safe and one of the officers in the van accidentally bumps his assault rifle into the side door and de niro hears it so he turns around and stares at the van not realizing they're staring right back at him with night vision and he contemplates for literally 10 seconds before walking into the building grabbing kilmer and says walk <laughs> val's literally like i'm i'm there i'm literally right there i'm nearly done and he says to him walk he screams at him walks off seconds away from pulling a score and he has the discipline to stop dead in his tracks and walk things come full circle in the end when he eventually does break his principles but i don't want to give away too many spoilers if you haven't seen the film it it's one of the best movies i've seen the bank robbery scene has been legendary in cinema it it's actually the scene that inspired the joker's robbery in the batman the dark knight the dark knight and the robbery in grand theft auto 5 for those that have played the game but that quote from the restaurant scene and the scene where he walks away really stuck with me since they're so relatable to trading you know everyone can make correct calls literally everyone's capable of doing it but the reason why most people lose in the long run is so simple it's almost tragedy and there's two main reasons for it one most people are led by they're ruled by emotion you know they bet on who they want to win and they're just not intelligent enough to step back look at the facts accept reality and adjust their betting accordingly they always punt on what they want to happen how many people can go to their home stadium watch their favorite football team and back their away team they hate even if they know they're up against it how can you bet on something that you don't want to happen are you even supposed to feel good about winning if the bet comes in so if you ever faced with that sort of moral dilemma then you probably shouldn't bet. And secondly is discipline. Most people cannot manage their money. You can make any number of good trades in a row, but if you don't stake correctly, you can be one loss away from wiping yourself out. On the other hand, you can be wrong more often than you're right and still be profitable long run if you have the discipline to bet objectively and to cut losses early and ride out good plays. Just these two simple psychological shifts would probably put betting shops out of business for good, but they prey on the fact that most people are largely emotion-driven, lazy and impulsive. I don't want to drift too far off the tangent, but this week I fell prey to letting emotions get in the way of seeing what I was confronted with, and by the time I came to terms with it, it was too late and I had to take a loss. And it's important not to beat yourself up about it. but just learn from it and realize how you went wrong so you don't do it again. And I think trading this open really illustrated the point that I wanted to drive home in one of these podcast episodes. So I thought today would be an appropriate time to talk about it. So next week's looking quiet again, so I doubt I'll be able to get across get across the 1k mark. So I'm going to wind down my expectations a little and maybe focus a bit more on some YouTube stuff, but I'll keep you guys updated. Um and I'm also sending out a newsletter tonight, so if you're not subscribed, make sure you do so via my website. And whilst you're at it, 
Don't forget to subscribe here on YouTube too. Like, share, comment, all that good stuff. And I'll see you guys soon. Nice and short one today. Peace.